and all, all of us getting out and it's like, you know, like 90210 with that cool walk and, you know, I'm throwing the towel over my like shoulder and, you know, and just acting so like dope because I'm, I'm finally going to get accepted as soon as I walk through this party. And I remember we were like 10 feet away and I'm feeling excited. And then I see a friends of mine, Ron, and I think like Jeremy and a bunch of other people, and they weren't being led into the party. And they happened to be black. And there was a scuffle as I'm like maybe seven feet away. And I remember someone saying to them like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here. We are not letting any party and man when i heard that i just froze podcasting from boulder colorado this is the baby got backstory podcast where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers creators and entrepreneurs i like big backstories and i cannot lie I am your host, Mark Gutman. I'm Mark Gutman, and on today's episode of Baby Got Backstory, we are playing. No, I'm not joking. And neither is today's guest, who is super serious about play. Today, we are talking with Jeff Harry. Jeff has built an entire business and life out of play. Jeff shows individuals and companies how to tap into their true selves to feel their happiest and most fulfilled all by playing. Jeff has worked with Google, Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, Adobe, the NFL, Amazon, and Facebook, helping their staff to infuse more play into the day-to-day. Hey, if you like and enjoy the show, please take a minute or two to rate and review us over Apple Podcasts or Spotify or the listening platform of your choice. These platforms use ratings as part of the algorithm that determines ratings on their charts. And ratings bring exposure, which help us to build an audience, which then helps us to continue to produce this show. And if I may ask just one more favor, if you like the show, please recommend it to at least one other person you may think will like it this week. That would make me happy. And who doesn't like a happy Mark Gutman? Jeff Harry is an international speaker who has presented at conferences such as Inbound, South by Southwest, and Australia's Pause Fest, showing audiences how major issues in the workplace can be solved using play. Jeff was selected by Bamboo HR and Engagedly as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2020 for his organizational development work around dealing with toxic people in the workplace. His play work has most recently been featured in the New York Times article, How Do We Add More Play to Our Grown-Up Life Even Now?, which we will link to in the show notes. He has also been featured on AJ+, Soul Pancake, The San Francisco Chronicle, and CNN. And as you'll hear in today's episode, While we spend most of our time pretending to be important, serious grown-ups, it's when we let go of that facade and just play that the real magic happens. Fully embracing your own nerdy genius, whatever that is, gives you the power to make a difference and change lives. Jeff believes that we already have many of the answers we seek, and by simply unleashing our inner child, we can find our purpose and in turn, help to create a better world. And this is his story. Today, I am talking to someone who does something that I don't believe I've ever had any experience with directly, at least in my adult life, and we'll talk about that. Uh, I'm so uh, just intrigued and excited to get into this conversation. I am here with Jeff Harry, who is a positivity psychology play speaker. So Jeff, like, I'm going to ask you right off the bat, what is a positivity psychology play speaker besides being a mouthful? Right. Um, no, it's, it's a great question. Uh, first, thanks for having me. Um, 
The best way in which I describe positive psychology in play is I, I combine positive psychology and the idea of play or the concept of play to work with businesses to address some of their like deepest issues, like dealing with toxicity at work, uh, how to create an inclusive work environment, how to deal with office politic BS. And we all do it through the, the mindset of positive psychology as well as the experience of play. Very good. And so, you know, a question I typically lead off episodes with is something to the effect of, Jeff, when you were a young boy, when you were eight years old, did you always want to have a job in play? But I can't really ask that because I'm assuming at eight years old, yes, that is exactly the job that you wanted. Am am I right? Yeah. So, so, and I love that you picked the number eight because I think that's when I saw the movie big. And that was the catalyst for me. So I saw the movie Big with Tom Hanks. And if you remember that movie, you know, he plays with toys for a living. He works for a a toy company, of all things. So, you know, seeing the movie, I ran down to FAO Schwartz thinking if I just danced on the piano, a CEO would discover me and offer me a job. And that did not happen. So then I started writing toy companies in fifth grade on my word processor. That's how old I am. And I was spamming toy companies with letters before spamming was a thing. I would send like six letters at a time that were like three or four pages long with all of my toy ideas to any toy company that I could find the address to. And I just kept doing that all the way through high school until a company contacted me and was like, yeah, you need to stop sending these letters. And if you want to go into toy design, you should go into mechanical engineering. I did that, which I probably should not have just listened to some random letter, but I did it. And then I went to school for it, graduated, and then went into the toy industry. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you get what you want, but I, I got into the toy industry and I hated it. Like there was no play, there was no high fives, there was no toys. They might as well have been selling microwaves. And I was just like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And I was in New York and 9-11 just happened. So I was like questioning whether I should even be here. And I don't want to die in a cubicle. And I remember leaving New York and heading to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, living in Oakland. And I remember finding a job where you could teach kids engineering with Lego. And it was only seven nerdy guys at this job. And I just hung out with him and we helped grow the largest Lego STEM education company like in the country. And we all did it by just playing and making it up as we went along. Like we would pick cities because they were fun. We had no business plan. We picked fun people to hire. And we just were just making it up via play. And because we were doing so well and we were teaching like 100,000 kids a year, Silicon Valley started recognizing us and was like, hey, do you run things for adults, like team building events? And we were like, of course we do, even though we didn't. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just making it up. So we just say yes to anything. And then I realized as I was running a lot of these workshops for adults, they would talk about creativity and collaboration and connection but they weren't playful environments. They weren't like creating a playful place where people could take risks and quote unquote, think outside the box. So I was like, you're not tackling the big issues. So I created Rediscover Your Play as a way to just like, yo, let's go right at those hard issues, but let's use play and positive psychology to do it. Wow. That, thank you for sharing that. You, you went from uh, eight all the way to uh, through, through to now. To now. It's, it's a time warp. And so we're going we're gonna to hold that. We know where the story kind of leads, but I want to go back. I mean, you told me uh, before we started recording that you're in Chicago with your family. I mean, is that where you grew up? I mean, was your that life like, like big? Was it uh, with Josh Baskin? Were you, you know, rooting for the Cubs? And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I know the movie. I know the movie well. Uh, you know, Well, I hated the Cubs. I'm a White Sox fan because I live in the South Side, right? I live in the South Suburbs of Chicago, and that's where I grew up. But yes, I'm like, my dad is from the Caribbean, a small island off the coast of Barbados called St. Vincent, only 100,000 people. You know, I think he was the first doctor to make it in the U.S. off his island. And then my mom is from the Philippines, 
and came here, you know, when a lot of U.S. nurses were going to Vietnam. And then they met in an operating room. My mom doesn't remember this, but they met in an operating room because he was the attending physician in Minnesota, in Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic. And she was the nurse on call. So that's just how like they got here. And then, yeah, I grew up in a really predominantly white generic suburb, you know, that had chilies and, you know, a Walmart and a bunch of other really boring places. So what was it about toys? I mean, it seems like that you were enamored from what you've shared with me with toys at a young age. I mean, you stayed with it. You kept hammering all these companies with your your desire to get in the industry and you actually went and, and fulfilled that vision. And, and, and to answer your question, yes, I would say my life has been marked throughout various chapters with getting what I wanted and what I dreamed of only to realize my dream was way cooler than the reality and mm-hmm. uh, they didn't match up and, and, and had to make a shift. So I, I feel you there and, and I'd love to talk about that in a little bit, but kind of want to know, like, what about toys? Like, what was it about toys and what kind of toys in particular were you drawn to? I was, I mean, I think I was more drawn to play, but what I think I loved about some of the toys that I played with, you know, the GI Joes and a game I love to do was I love to combine all of my board games together, um, like Shoots and Ladders, Candyland, Mousetrap, Clue, Monopoly, like all of them together. And I would set up this epic, you know, game for my sister and, and tying into like what I now coin as my play values. The reason I love doing it, even though they hated playing that game, was that it was an experience for us. I love creating experiences for people. I love the creativity of it. And I love the connection. Like, how do I build a memory from this? So like, that was the type of play that I always wanted to do. So that kind of ties into even what I do now. But I think, you know, and maybe this is a perfect time to share my most embarrassing story from my teenage years um, uh, is, uh, where do I start? Yeah, it was seventh grade. I think it was seventh grade where so much of what I do now is shaped by what happened in seventh grade. And and I don't know if you remember seventh grade. Was seventh grade good for you? I just want to just get an idea. It was a mixed bag. <laughs> right? Like most people don't like junior high. Like they're just not enjoying junior high. And I remember sixth grade was like super fun. It was playful. But I remember seventh grade. And I remember the first day of school and all I wanted to do was play Foursquare, right? Because like Foursquare was like my game, man. Like, you know, everyone's in there, you know, you compete and you get kicked out and then you just get back in line. And I was so obsessed with Foursquare that I remember walking down the hall, you know, to recess or maybe it was lunch. And I was literally singing this song, um, Gonna play some four square, gonna play some four square, gonna play some four square. And I was so like amped to get out there. And I remember going out first day of recess and like nobody in seventh grade is playing. Like no one's hanging out and everyone was was there before. So like, I remember running up to like Matt and, you know, Jimmy and just being like, yo, you wanna play some four square? And they're like, no. And they're all like hanging out, just talking. I'm like, why is everyone talking? And then I remember Matt saying something to me like, hey, do you know that Ryan is dating Samantha? And, you know, and Mark is dating Julie. And I'm like, so do they want to play Foursquare? I'm like, I'm just trying to get an idea of like, why no one's over there and can we start playing, right? And they're like, no, dude. Like, no, like they're going out. And I remember being like, what did he say? Like Mark, Mark was going to first base, with Julie. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, you know, I like look over to the baseball field and like, no dude, like they're kissing. And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Why is no one playing? And then I realized like a little bit later on, like there was a new game that everyone was playing that I did not know, which was being cool. And apparently there was a vote of like who's cool and who's not cool over the summer. And and there was no mail-in ballot. So I never got a chance to chime in. So like the cool people had already been ranked and I was like really low on the totem pole. And I was like, this is whack. And I was like, well, I'm just gonna keep 
going to play Foursquare. But every day I would go out, there'd be nobody there. So I'm like, this is freaking BS, man. Um, and then I remember I was like, fine, I just want to belong, right? Fine, I won't play. I just want to belong. So I remember going up to like Matt and being like, what do I need to do? Like, what do I need to do to be cool? And he's like, you got to start, you know, like dating. Um, and I was like, how am I supposed to date? And he goes, well, you know, you know, everyone, ha- everyone that's cool has bangs. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, and all of the top ranked dudes literally had those like bangs from, you remember the nineties where like they flicked them out of their hair. Right. And I'm a black Filipino dude with this huge fro at the time. And I'm like, I can't grow bangs, but I remember stealing my sister's Vidal Sassoon mousse and like putting all this mousse in my hair and shoving it down to create this frozen bang just so I could get accepted. And that mousse would dry up by fifth period. And I didn't know that this is what happens. And when that happens, the bang turns from like a bang to like this raccoon's butt that's just like coming out of my forehead. And I'm like trying to talk to ladies like, hello ladies, and they're like, Ew, gross, you know? And I'm like, this is just BS. Like this being cool thing is BS. I hate it, but I needed to be accepted, right? So I constantly do all these things. And then I remember late in the year, everyone was always being asked to go to parties and I never got invited, right? And then there was this last party of the year and it was like the pool party of the century for this junior high. And everyone that anyone's going to be there. And I was like, oh, can I go? And I remember Matt being like, you know, it's invite only. And I'm like, what the, is that even me, dude? So, so like you have to get invited by someone that's already accepted, right? So I remember begging all these people, you know, can I come to the pool party with you? And they're like, no, no, like you're not ranked high enough or whatever. And I remember going up to Antonio and Joey Villa Gomez. And being like, can I go to the party? Like, can you bring me to the party? And they were like, maybe. And then I remember basically being at their beck and call, you know, folding their triangle notes and handing them off to like their girlfriends and buying their lunches and doing whatever I could to like just get accepted by them. And then after two weeks, you know, I'm in the car with them going to the party and I'm so amped and like, Like, I'm literally singing the same song of like, gonna go to the party, going into the party, going to the party. And I'm so like excited. And then I remember us parking 20 feet from the party and all of us getting out. And it's like, you know, like 90210 with that cool walk. And, you know, I'm throwing the towel over my like shoulder and, you know, and just acting so like dope because I'm, I'm finally going to get accepted as soon as I walk through this party. And I remember we were like 10 feet away and I'm feeling excited. And then I see a friends of mine, Ron, and I think Jeremy and a bunch of other people, and they weren't being led into the party and they happened to be black. And there was a scuffle as I'm like maybe seven feet away. And I remember someone saying to them like, Fuck you. Get the fuck out of here. We are not letting any party. And man, when I heard that, I just froze. Because like, I'm black. You're like, am I like, like, are they going to let me in? And I just like, I felt as if like water had like rushed up to my knees and just like froze and I couldn't move. And I'm like five feet away from like the entrance. And I remember Antonio looking at me and being like, yo, dude, like, come on, you know, it's no big deal. And I'm like, no, it is a big deal, dude. Like they're going to let you in, but they're not going to let me in. And I, I don't even know where I am. I don't even know how to get home. And I remember getting up to the front and you know, the people that were blocking the party looked at Antonio and then looked at Joey, both who were Latino and then looked at me and they were like, is he with you? You know, like, is he black? And Antonio's like, no, he's Latino. And I remember thinking like, 
don't say anything. Like, don't say anything and you get in. You get in if you don't say anything. And I remember them just like nonchalantly, like giving that head nod of like, all right, go ahead. And it was like nothing to them. But for me, it was like, it was everything. Like being accepted, it was everything. And I remember as I crossed that threshold, like I felt such a first, a wave of relief. And I was expecting next to be like so happy. But instead, as soon as I passed through, I felt like I left myself back there. And I remember there were like 50 people at the party and everyone's talking. And it was just so silent for me. And I felt such shame and guilt. And it was this pool party. And I remember like going into the pool because I wanted to play and no one's playing. And I remember just sinking down in there and just feeling like the loneliest I had ever felt in my life up until that point. And I was like, is this it? Like, did I give it all up for this? And I remember making a pact with myself like that day, like I am not going to like compromise who I am just to be cool or to people please. And I remember freshman year then going into my basement and making up weird games that I would play by myself, you know, just hanging out there. And after a while, some of my friends heard like, you know, I was just hanging out in my basement and it was a place where you don't get judged and you can, you don't have to be cool there. And they would start coming over and we would just make up ridiculous games. And I just created like a safe space for us to just be like our nerdy selves. Um, and what's ironic is like, that's what I do now. I do the exact same thing, but for adults. Um, but it would all stem from that experience. Wow. And, and thank you for sharing that and, and getting, uh, you know, authentic and, 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 and real on that, on that relive of that story. Jeff, like, why did you call that? Why do you call that your most embarrassing story? Like, I didn't hear embarrassment in that story. Well, I think I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed multiple times. I was embarrassed first to be who I am, right? And then I was embarrassed when I finally became quote unquote cool because I was embarrassed with who I became, right? So like, I wasn't happy in either of those places. So it finally came down to me being like alone, sitting in my basement where I, that embarrassment like left me because I wasn't trying to please someone else. I, you know, wasn't ashamed of myself anymore. Um, and I could actually just be my nerdy me. Yeah. And so what did you get from play back then? And, and how does that relate to how play, how, how we see and interact with play today? Yeah. So I define play as any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment, where there really is no purpose to the play. You know, you are letting go of results and you don't have an anxiety about the future. You don't have any like regrets about the past. You are just fully in the moment, um, almost like in a state of flow, as a lot of adults like to refer to play as. And there's something powerful there because when you think of your best memories, they're play moments. They're moments when you're playing. You know, they're not when you're documenting stuff on Instagram. Um, and the opposite of play is depression, as Dr. Stuart Brown says. And if you think of like the world that doesn't have play, it is a world that doesn't have innovation. It doesn't have creativity. It doesn't have humor. And it's just like, especially during these uncertain times, especially during COVID times, like so many people are, so many adults are fixated on results all the time, which really is like, I see results and expectations as like the thief of joy. And because they're so fixated on what 2020 was supposed to be, so many people were disappointed with what 2020 was or what it is. And the more resilient you are, the more play-oriented you are, the more you're able to roll with it. You know, the more you're able to be like, okay, that didn't happen, but that's not a big deal. I can figure this out, right? And embracing that playful childlike spirit is what is going to help us actually get through the rest of 2020. And so, Jeff, 
I noticed, and thank you for talking about play there. I noticed that both today you came to the interview uh, wearing a, a bow tie that almost looks like a bit like a spinner. And uh, in your headshot, you have it. Like, tell me about that. What is that? So what this is here, I'll clip it on just as you can see it. It's a Lego bow tie. And I used to wear it when I was working for that educational Lego organization. But I started wearing it as an experiment, almost a dare from my colleague Lisa at the time, who was like, yeah, I dare you to wear that at a conference. And I was like, yeah, I think I am going to wear it at a conference. And I remember wearing it because I felt like everyone at, a con at conferences has a facade, you know, like a professional veneer of like, this is who I am. What do I do for a living? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm a, ser I'm a serious adult. So I was like trying to mock that and being like, well, I'm going to wear a costume too. And my costume is going to be this stupid Lego bow tie. I'm going to clip it onto anything, t-shirts, sweaters, whatever. It doesn't really matter, but that's going to be how I dress up. And I remember the conferences being so much more enjoyable because for some weird reason, because I'm wearing this nerdy artifact, I would attract other nerdy people. And they didn't feel like they had to be their professional selves around me. And we could talk about nerdy things like Game of Thrones and Avengers and why they loved Lego and anything else, you know? And I was just like, oh, dude, I should just wear this all the time. And the more I wore it, like on airplanes and other places, just I... I realized like I was able to connect more with people because then they would be willing to share stories about themselves because they felt more comfortable being around me because they realized I was playing. So why can they not just also play? Yeah. What's wrong with being professional, being an adult? And I sense in your value system that that is something that you like, you're like, Hey, that that's, that's the wrong way to be. I don't know if it's right or wrong because I don't like to think of things as right or wrong. You know, it's just like, Hey, you do you boo boo, you know, like, like, but what I don't like is being inauthentic. And I don't like that. We are always told how we're supposed to show up. Like, this is the right way to show up. This is the wrong way to show up. You should do this. You should not do that. You know, like we've been, you know, I say this a lot in a lot of interviews is, you know, the reason why a lot of adults don't play is because of 148,000 no's. Like there's been studies that found that we hear the word no 148,000 times by the time we're 18 years of age. On top of that, we get shut on all the time by adults and our parents and everyone else. And then we go to school where they tell you to ask, they have you asked for permission. You have to raise your hand all the time. And then you look at media and social media that's always telling you you're not enough. So all of that is happening. And then anytime you want to be yourself, you're told you're being mis too mischievous or being too much, that it's such a rebellious act for us to just be ourselves, to just be our weird, nerdy self. So when I, when I refer to as professional, it's not that like you shouldn't dress up or you shouldn't like sh put your best foot forward. If that is you, yo, do you. But if you feel like you're doing it just because you're trying to impress others and you don't feel comfortable in that space, then why are you doing it? Like, who are you trying to impress? Um, and, and by trying to impress people that you might not care about in like a year, like, how's that working out for you? Does that bring you happiness? And, and I've found that it hasn't. This episode brought to you by Wild Story. Wait, isn't that your company? It is. And without the generous support of Wild Story, this show would not be possible. A brand isn't a logo or a tagline or even your product. A brand is a person's gut feeling about a product, service, or company. It's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Wild Story helps progressive founders and savvy marketers build purpose-driven brands that connect their business goals with the customers they want to serve so that both the business and the customer needs are met. This results in crazy, happy, loyal customers that purchase again and again, and this is great for business. If that sounds like something you and your team might want to learn more about, reach out at www.wildstory.com and we'd be happy to tell you more. Now back to our show. Yeah, and so tell me a little bit about this idea of play. I mean, I feel like it's one of those words that 
You can say it, and I'm not sure that the schema, that the the image that everybody has in their head always matches, you know? And I think that we, and, I, and that might be one of the, the challenges, you know, I, I feel like that happens like around the word story. I was, I was building a business for a long time mm. around the word story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can mean different thing. You know, 10 people come up and say, Hey, I want you to help me tell my story. And that can mean 10 different things. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's just like this word that we all think we know, but in reality we haven't all agreed on. Uh, kind of like when I say horse and we're all like thinking like, Hmm, like, okay, I get that. Right. So yeah, what is play? If you could dive into it a little bit, like how do we do it? And like, why is it so difficult? Like why are we challenged in this thing called play, which seemingly should be natural and easy? Well, part of the reason, part of it is the 148,000 no's, and part of it is being told that we're supposed to show up to the world a certain way. You know, their adults are very results focused because we really want to always be telegraphing what's going to happen next so we don't get disappointed. And that actually puts us in a really bad situation where we can suffer from depression and anxiety because we're trying to control everything. And play is much more resilient. It's like, it's purposeless. And you know you're at play because everyone's play is different. Like I said earlier, it's like any joyful act where you're fully present in the moment. So when you're at play, you forget about time. Like what are the things you do where you forget about time? Where you're just so fully involved that you're like, oh man, I didn't even realize I was doing that. You know, that could be this podcast. It could be making videos. It could be writing. It could be, you know, whatever the thing is that just brings you a lot of joy and satisfaction. And I think a lot of times people think, well, I, you know, I don't play, you know, I, I stopped playing. There was a moment when I went to the playground and then I never went back to the playground. And I, and I've challenged that. I remember I was coaching someone once that was a lawyer and she was like, yeah, I don't play. And I was like, well, what do you do? Like, what do you, what do you do in law? And she's like, oh, I help people that hate each other to come to an agreement. And I'm like, that could be your play. Like, if you really enjoy it and you like the puzzle problem solving part of it, like explore that, right? But I think, and let me know if you felt this way with story, but when I would mention play to a lot of companies, they would recoil. They'd be like, oh, gross. Like, I don't, we don't need to play. We need results. We need profitability. We need blah, blah, blah. But when you reference it as flow, right, which is also a state of play, and, you know, Dr. Chick said Mihai, this positive psychologist, has this flow chart, literally called a flow chart, where the state of flow is when the difficulty of the task meets your skill level perfectly, you know, and when the difficulty of the task is really high, but you don't have a lot of skill, you have a lot of anxiety. Like when you first start a job and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. But when you have a lot of skill, and the task isn't that hard, then you're bored. Like when you've been at a job for way too long or you've been binge watching Netflix for way too long and it's not bringing you joy anymore. But there's moments when you're in a state of flow where you're creating something and you're like, it's hitting on all cylinders. You know, it's challenging you intellectually, it's challenging you creatively and you feel alive, right? Like you just feel so like excited about it. And that is what I mean by play. And that is what I want to help people rediscover. Yeah. And I love that idea. I mean, I can totally relate and resonate with this idea that we're super results focused and it always has to have an outcome. And I think that was always kind of the trouble when we were talking story. A lot of times it was like, what tangible result will this, will this have? And you know, I can't promise you always, you know, a lot of things are like, um, you know, in that, in that space where it's like, um, talking about, uh, you're going to connect better. You're going to relate better. You're going to all these different things. You're going to help people locate themselves. I think now people are seeing it more clearly that a brand story is an asset and something that drives revenue. But, but prior to mm-hmm. that, it was, it was challenging. And, and I, and I think it also, again, you know, using just that qualifier brand story helps a little bit when talking about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I think about, this idea of play, like how, how do we do it? Like, give me, give me an example of what, you know, you might do and, you know, what kind of team that you might work with in the, in the business world, if you will, and, and how you apply, let them other than saying, go play. Like, like how, right. how, how does it, like, how does it work? Right. So w- when I'm, when I'm 
Trying to answer the question for individuals is different from organizations, right? So when I'm answering it for individuals, we first have to start with the idea of soothing or calming. So my play mentor, Gwen Gordon, talks about how you can't play until you're calm or until you've soothed yourself in some way. If you have a lot of anxiety, you know, or anger or frustration or something like that, you can't really play. And she talks about how you learn how to soothe and calm yourself from the person that, that took care of you the most, you know, the person that nurtured you the most. So you might be adopting a lot of the anxiety that they had and a lot of that trauma. So you first have to identify, how do I calm and soothe myself? If you think of when you have your best ideas, it's like when you're in the shower or when you're walking or when in some state where you're like, oh, this just feels really nice. And then ideas just start popping up. So identify for that for yourself. How do you soothe and calm yourself? And then after that, then I challenge people to get bored, which is ironic as a play person, but it's just like, it's time to get bored, which means you got to shut out all of that noise. So hop off your social media for a couple hours, hop off of binge watching Netflix for a few hours and just get bored, like, and see what comes up because you have to actually quiet down everyone else's voice so you can start listening to like that inner curiosity, that inner child that's going to then whisper something to you, like start that podcast, you know, write that blog, like reach out to that person you've always wanted to reach out to, but you're super scared. Like it doesn't even matter what the thing is, as long as you're following that curiosity, because once you follow that, it leads to something else, which leads to something else, which leads to something else. Like just even thinking about your podcast, when you first started it to now where it is so many, you know, so many, you know, years later, like, Look at how it just has evolved, right? And even Steve Jobs talks about this. And I don't like always quoting that guy because he was super mean to a lot of people. But, you know, it's never linear on the way back, right? So why are we trying to plan everything out in a linear fashion going forward when it's just like this jagged craziness, you know, when you look backwards? Like, why are we not following our curiosity more, right? As for like at companies, it really depends on what their pain point is. If they're dealing with toxic people at work, you know, my friend Gary Ware and I put them through experiential play workshops where they try to have a hard conversation with that toxic person. Like they do it over and over again, because a lot of times we don't even know how to practice having hard conversations. Just like we don't know how to practice telling our own story. We don't know how to practice having like having a difficult, crucial conversation with someone, right? Like, or dealing with our inner critic. We don't know how to, how to address that mean voice in our head. So we practice that in the workshop and actually almost embody that inner critic and then address it directly. Mine is Gargamel. And then I'm like, thank you, Gargamel, for your super rude comments. I don't need them right now. I appreciate it, but you need to sit in the back of the car. I'm driving right now. So like I put them through a lot of experiential play and create a safe space so they can kind of like start to figure out who am I and how do I want to show up for work? Yeah. And, and maybe I'm a little bit confused because like when you were using that example of having a crucial conversation, that didn't sound like play to me. That sounded like kind of, that sounded like tough. That sounded like uh, work. So maybe let's kind of like back it up a little bit and like explain to me like how, how this play thing kind of actually works and people people uh, experience it in order to move forward and yeah sure sure so in the in I'll, I'll go through the dealing with toxic people workshop right so when we when people first arrive to the workshop we are like you know people are people are pissed some people are angry like I've seen like we did it in Australia and you know people were you know in tears at one point and they were laughing at one point because at the end of the day what a lot of people bonded on was the fact that they weren't alone right? Like just in regards to toxic people, I think it costs like $223 billion in the last five years for Fortune 500 companies of people just leaving because someone's super toxic. So when they first walk into the room, you know, we go, hey, we're going to be, you know, messing around. We're going to be playing a lot. So what we want you to do right now is we want you to envision that inner a-hole, that inner toxic person and we want you to embody that person. And we want you to interact with each other as that person, as that, as I refer to, Chad, you know? Um, and people start doing it. And they see how absurd it is as they're 
saying it to each other and moving around the room, but they're starting to like feel, oh, and then we ask them afterwards, what was it like to be that a-hole? What was it like to be that toxic person? Some people love it. Other people absolutely hate it. And then we run them through a lot of, of other role-playing where they either are that person or they're talking to that person. And, and it's a lot of role-play. And a lot of times, at first, it is hard. And things can be hard and they can also be playful. And sometimes they're not always fun at the time, but they're, we're diving into something much more deep rooted. And by practicing and being like, oh man, you know, going up to Chad, you know, at work and being like, hey, Chad, when you were at that meeting and you cut off Samantha, um, you not only did you, did it feel really rude for her? So she didn't feel like sharing, but it also communicated to all of us that you didn't want to hear what we had to say. You know, and you practice saying that because you, Chad might not know that they're a toxic person and you're practicing having that conversation. And we do it multiple times where it feels a little awkward. You start to get comfortable with it. And then you have the bravery potentially the, to go back out there and actually have a real conversation with your Chad, right? And that's what we're trying to do is a lot of times it's not always like, oh, this is going to be fun and joyful, but it's just like, let's get to serious issues, but let's do it in a role-playing way where you actually embody what it feels like so you don't, so it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Because I think a lot of times we build it up in our head that this is going to be really hard. And then you try it and you realize it's not that hard. Poor Chad. It always has to be Chad. <laughs> Always has to be Chad. Chad, if you're out there, I believe in you, man. I know you're a good guy at heart. Like, don't don't listen to what Jeff is saying. So <laughs> I love this idea of <laughs> listening to your curiosity, like like following that. How do you know that that little voice you hear is curiosity versus something else? How do you know it's not a gremlin? How do you know it's not, you know, that little voice that's telling you, you know, who you should be like how do you know right. that's the right little voice to listen to i feel like we have all these like little little voices in us right that come up right there's times. so many little voices right and i can dive in the whole inner critic stuff in a moment if you want but um someone i was at a winery once and someone's and i was like you know i don't know anything about wine and the wine guy was just like you know if you, if you drink the wine, you like it, you keep drinking it. If you don't like it, you stop drinking it. And that's really the same thing with curiosity. You know, if you follow this curious thing and it's just like, hey, you know, make this video and you and you kind of like it, then you're like, oh, that's kind of fun. I think I'm going to continue to do that. And if you don't like it, then you're like, oh, I'm not interested anymore. You know, and that's kind of how kids are when they're at the playground. They go play something with someone. They don't even introduce themselves formally. They just start playing. And then when they're done playing tag, then they're like, yeah, I don't want to play anymore. And that's the exact same way. Just do the things that feel good, that feel good to you. You know, you'll know that it's, it's not you and that you're trying to should on yourself when it just doesn't feel right when you just feel like when you can ask yourself who am I trying to please right now and then you're like oh I'm trying to please my boss or oh I'm trying to please this friend of mine you know or I'm trying to please somebody instead of trying to focus on what I want and what my needs are so that's how I would be able to tell people how to decipher it yeah and I think there's this thing like you know, I like that you brought up the podcast at one point as an example, because yeah, I mean, that is like kind of for me, the right example of curiosity and following my curiosity and play and that it was an experiment and I didn't really know where it was going to go. And, and that gave me a lot of freedom. You know, sometimes I would think though, that by not planting my flag, by not declaring, I'm going to make this a big thing. It also kind of gave me like one foot in and one foot out, you know, it kind of gave me this mm -hmm. like defensibility. And I think, you know, when I heard you talk, it's like, yeah, like, even when I think about and, and put myself in this, in this situation, it's like, yeah, I'm going to make that video, but really I'm doing it because I want to put it on YouTube and I want people to like me. And, you know, I want some sort of, to your point result. And the problem being, and, and YouTube's a great example. I love, I love shooting videos. I, I love the idea of being a YouTube 
er, but I'm not right. Like, I mean, and, and it, it was right. really hard for me to like accept it. Like, I don't like to edit and you know, YouTube's just not a channel where I can show up regularly and uh, create content, even though I do put some stuff up there from time to time, but it was really hard for me. It was really hard for me to kind of like admit that it was hard for me to say, look at this as like, Hey, it's a cool experiment or it's a cool form right. of play that opened up a door or that's like this point in my journey that's now pivoting to someplace else. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really personally struggle with this, like, you know, am I, am I, am I curious or am I wishy-washy? And so like, how do you, you know, respond to people that, that struggle with that? Like, is this curiosity? And is to your point, is this just the way it's nonlinear and it should be, or am I just like all over the place? And I, I gotta like, uh, be a little more, you know, have a little bit more direction. Um, I don't know when I hear the wishy-washy and this is just my take on it, but it's just like, I hear there's like a should voice in that, right? Like maybe you are wishy-washy sometimes. Maybe you are curious sometimes like who knows, right? Like you'll, you'll figure it out by just experimenting more. Like I, this is interesting. I make a lot of TikTok videos, right? Like I'm really fascinated by that app because there's a lot of play in there. There's a lot of people that are not taking them seriously in it. But even I, you know, will make a video, put it out there. And I'm like, man, that was super fun to make. And then there's a part of me that goes back and is like, how many views? How many views did I get? Oh my gosh. Oh, I didn't get that many views. And then I get like, there's a part of me that's like, gets super disappointed. But I remember as I was, as I make more content and I'm just putting it out there and I let go of it because like, it doesn't really matter whether it's popular or not popular because I've had things that have gotten blown up and like 40,000 people watch it. And I'm like, man, that's, that's not even something I liked. I didn't even like as much making that video. That video was like, man, how come people don't like this other video? And then I realized like that the art, like people's opinion of your art or your creation almost is none of your business, which is ironic, right? It's just like, just create the stuff and put it out there, Jeff. And when I do that, then it's just so much more fun because I have to keep reminding myself, why am, why did I start making these in the first place? Oh, because I just enjoyed the creation of it, right? And then like a mandala, like you put it out there and then it gets swept away. Like you, you know, you work on this design for so long and then the wind blows it away because it was never about you. It was about just the creative process and knowing when I make a, a fun TikTok video to start my day, it, it primes my day to see everything in a very playful way. Um, and then my friend Desiree told me this, which I really loved, where, where when something good happens at the beginning of my day, ask yourself, how can it get any better than this? Like, how can this situation get any better than this? With curiosity. And when I start my day with a TikTok video, and I'll just describe today, right? Like, you know, I started my day. I made this video. Oh, this is awesome. How can it get any better than this? Oh, sweet. I hopped on this really cool podcast with these people from England. How can it get any better than this? Now I'm talking to you on your podcast. How can it get any better than this? I get to see my girlfriend later on. How can it get any better than this? And I'm positively stacking and priming myself to look for positive patterns throughout the day. And then that makes a good day. But usually when someone focuses on having a bad day, it's because they're focusing on one moment in time and thoughts usually last between nine seconds and 90 seconds. So they're just running that bad moment in their head over and over and over again, and then looking for other bad moments. But you can get out of that by simply being curious and asking yourself the right question. I want to be clear that after this podcast, it gets no better than this. You, 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 this is it, Jeff. Like, this is like, just, I mean, I know you're, you're curious, but like, this is the little voice inside of you telling you, no, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, this is this it. This so deep, just, sultry Gutman voice yes. is the best thing I'm going to get today. Well, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. And no, I mean, sometimes it knows to know it's, this is as good as it gets. So Jeff, how in addition to being curious, how else can we flex this play muscle? And like, how do we know we're doing it right? Like, how do we know we're... There is no right. So it's 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 letting go of the, the idea of right and wrong. Because like during COVID times, and I put this out so much, like nobody knows what they're doing. No one ever has ever known what they're doing. They're just making it up as they go along. And then and then people will make like webinars or, or courses that are like, this is what you should do and you should do it this way. And 
maybe that will work. Maybe it won't. Maybe P90X is not going to get you all fit. You know, it's, it's like, it's just one way and it's their way, but you have your own way, right? And listening to so many people preaching about what we should have done or what we should do during the pandemic. Like, this is how you should start your business. This is how you should pivot during the pandemic. And I'm like, wait, were you around in 1918? I'm just trying to get an idea who was around running a business in 1918 during the last pandemic. Because if you weren't, then shut up. <laughs> like, like, stop acting like you know what you're talking about. Because none of us do. We're all simply making it up as we go along, right? But, you know, a play experiment that I put out to a lot of people that I really enjoy doing with a lot of my clients is, you know, try this, right? Reach out to your friends, like maybe three or four of them, um, and ask them these two questions. Um, like, what value do I bring to your life? Because I think a lot of people don't know why people are friends with them. Like, I don't know, what do I do for you? Why are we friends? Why do you continue to hang out with me? Which is really important to hear because a lot of times you don't know what you do for people and you get to hear all that love back. So what value do I bring to your life? And then second, I ask them like, when have you seen me most alive? Or another way of asking it is like, when have you seen me most playful, most joyful, most present, you know, most happy? And they'll remind you and be like, man, when you were traveling, you felt that way. Or man, when you were like making that podcast or when you make your videos, you seem so happy. And it's and and listening to multiple different people's perspectives on it and writing all that down and looking at that and being curious about what's on the page, because all your friends are going to tell you totally different things. You'll start to see patterns and be like, oh, man. That is when I come most alive. Oh man, that is the value I bring to people's lives. I never even realized that. And then follow that. Just follow that guidepost and see where that takes you. And I'm telling you, it's going to take you to a really cool, dope ass place. You know, there's so much gold and nuggets in there. And all I can think of is that perhaps P90X and muscle confusion isn't going to work for me. Like, like I thought that worked you for everybody, you know, I thought like, you I thought like, saying? I mean, I've never done it, but like, I, I figured that like, if I did it, I would be ripped in like beach body. <laughs> right. And now I'm like, maybe like, you know, th there's a reason I'm not doing that because it's not for everybody. It's not for me. Right. Thank right. you, Jeff Harry. You've just, right. you've just, you just let the and, and, uh, P90X monkey off my back. Right. And, and let me remind, let me, it reminds me of something else that I talk about a lot, right. Which is affluent deadness. Right. So I know a lot of millionaires. Like I know a lot of people that you would consider successful, you know, whether like famous or whatever the thing is. And a lot of them are not that happy. <laughs> like, like I know people that have enough money, they could travel the world 10 times over, they could buy whatever they want, and they have a deadness to them. Not everyone, but a lot of people that are in this echelon that we and many people are striving for. And they're either worried about losing all of their money or they're comparing themselves to somebody else. So they're like, oh, I'm not as, I don't, I don't have as many riches or I'm not as famous or I don't have as many followers as this other person, right? Or they're just straight like, Bored, but not in the curious board, but bored in the sense of like, oh, I thought it was supposed to be more fun when I got here. And then they post on Instagram that they're like living these amazing lives and everyone should be like them. But when in the background, you know, it's coming from a place of insecurity. So they're selling this lie of like how amazing this life is with all this affluence when they're not happy. And then there's all these people striving to get there only to get disappointed when they get there as well. So why are we pitching this as like the successful right way to do it? Like, it's just all BS to me. And instead, instead of being affluent, like, like affluent, you know, monetarily, why can't you be affluent like socially? or in, in an impactful way, or able to like build huge, like really real connections, or able to share your story in a way that's compelling that other people want to share, because that, that is like makes you alive. That is the type of like affluence I would want to reach out to, one where you feel most alive and you feel most like yourself. So what if we have trouble getting bored? 
You know, like I think of myself, I'm like restless, I'm anxious. Like, I don't know if like just walking away from my phone and sitting in a park is always going to do it for me. Like, how do we get more bored? That's a good question. And the reason why I say bored is because if you think about when you were a kid, your best ideas came when you were bored, right? Also, your most dangerous ideas came when you were bored, right? So I think it, and, and bored can also be referred to as calm, right? So it could be something as simple as like what we said earlier, like taking a shower. You have a, a ton of ideas when you take a shower or do have a bubble bath or go on a walk or, you know, or, you know, sometimes I do brainstorming sessions with my friend Lauren, but we do it over mimosas and then come up with a bunch of crazy ideas that way. You know, I've, I've told people, you know, to do a play experiment with their friends where they get them all on Zoom and you're like, you know what, I'm not playing enough. And then we all, you know, have a bunch of mimosas and we just start brainstorming all these ways in which we used to play as friends and what we can do now in these COVID times, right? Like I, I was I was coaching someone that was like, well, I love to travel and I can't travel right now. And we were like, well, then let's play with it. Let's play with the idea of like, how can you travel? Or what is it that you loved about travel? And she goes, I love meeting new people. I love meeting new people from other countries. I love those conversations. So she started looking for all of these nomadic networks and camp indies and all these travel places and then found all these other people that also love to travel that live in other countries. And now she has all these new relationships with people and she feels like traveling and by just simply hanging out with them and has places to stay when she can fly again. That's all by her getting a little bored, a little calm, and then being like, oh, let me follow this curiosity and see where it takes me. So like, that's where I would challenge people to just be like, again, you don't have to do it the right way, but just what calms, what soothes you, what, what, what gets you in a place where you can hear you and no one else. Hmm. Hear you and no one else. I like that. So, Jeff, as we come to the end of our time here, thank you so much. Uh, we'll make sure to link to everything Jeff Harry in the show notes. Uh, while you were talking, I was looking at your TikTok. Yes, there's a lot of play there. Jeff Harry plays on TikTok uh, and probably all other handles, but we'll make sure to, to get those linked appropriately in the show notes. Jeff, when you think back to that awkward eight-year-old boy, maybe that teenager with the bangs that were plastered against his face or even that that boy that had to give up a sense of himself and go into that party just to be included if you, if you ran into that that version of yourself today what do you think that younger version would say would say to me oh i'm sorry yeah if, say if he saw you today like what, what, what if, would he think he'd be like that's badass dude <laughs> be, he'd be like oh I don't need to try like, Oh, it, it was like, I had all the answers the whole time. Like, Oh, wow. That, that takes a load off me. Let me put down the moose. <laughs> like, you know, like, let me, let me stop wearing these Z Cavarigis and Gerbos because I realized like, Oh, I don't need to actually try so hard. You know, like I feel, I feel there's such pressure to try so hard to be some perfect version of yourself when like you have all the answers you need already and you just really need to play enough in order to figure them out. And that is Jeff Harry, positivity, psychology, play, speaker. Yep, it's still a mouthful. I'm all about the play. And Jeff really got me thinking about this idea of where our best memories come from. And I agree, my best memories are when I'm in a state of play, when I'm not looking for any particular result. And it's long been a wild story core value that's posted right on our website, play for a living, followed by the words, the world of business is a much better place with humor smiles, and belly-aching laughter. We approach our jobs and mission with a sense of playful humor. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to poke fun at yourself. 
If you can't poke fun at yourself, poke fun at us. We can take it with a smile. A big thank you to Jeff Harry. Stay curious, keep playing, get bored. Sounds like a recipe for success to me. Well, that's the show. Until next time. Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny.